Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Hey, whoever's, uh, by the way, real quick, whoever reads our scripture, you should thank them um, after the service. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a little nerve-wracking. I'm sure I'm just making it worse for you right now, making you stand up here even longer. But uh, it's nerve-wracking. So when you see whoever reads our scripture following our time together, just thank them. Uh, sometimes it's nerve-wracking, and, and we jump right in, but I'd like for us to to have, have our Bibles ready or your device, whatever you've brought with you, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. If, you, if there's a Bible, uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we provide those Bibles in the seats in front of you for you, uh, just so that you don't ever feel uh, like, like you're going without. Uh, the text, today's text and those Bibles are on page 813. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place, where there in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother in law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirit, the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 8, says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you. Um, that you speak to us through your word. Lord, I, help, I, I pray that today um, you would help me um, be, be clear, um, be faithful um, to what your word teaches, um, and that, Lord, as, as you have done um, throughout the, the centuries and the millennia, Lord, that you would use your word today in the gathering of God's people to sharpen us, um, to equip us, um, to, to speak to us. Uh, we believe that your word is, is alive, active, um, and so, so, Father, we just pray that um, our hearts would be, be awakened um, and refreshed to, to the power of your word today. Um, Lord, as we have sung, our whole, the, 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 the whole of our lives is dependent upon you. Uh, from, from, our, 
from our awakening in the morning um, to our lives throughout the day, um, to our successes, our, our hardships, um, even our death in eternity, um, Lord, is, is dependent upon you, upon your grace. And so I just pray, Lord, that um, you would help us to, to understand that, that, Lord, in a, in a time of, of our lives where um, we're, we're told to, to just be sufficient in and of ourselves, um, help us to just um, dismantle uh, that, that thinking um, through the power of your word and your spirit today. Uh, we are fully dependent upon you in every area of life, even in, even in this time here. So we pray these things in, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. We're very glad, glad that you're here today. You can have a seat. Sorry. Come on, y'all. Most of us are Baptists. You know when the prayer's over, you sit down, right? I'm just kidding. That's, that's, uh, that's just a joke. Um, thanks for standing. You just, you, you just stood for a good 20 minutes. And so uh, if, if you don't think you can do hard things, you can do hard things. Uh, 20 minutes worth of standing is great. So... Um, Thank you for standing, and uh, I'm really excited to, to dive into this text today, Matthew chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 17. Um, and again, I really encourage you, as I do each Sunday, uh, have, have, a, have, a, have a copy of the Word in your hands. Again, whether that's an electronic device or a, or a tangible copy of uh, the Scriptures, it will be very helpful uh, for you, for your, uh, for your sharpening and your, your growth in Christ to, to just be able to see what we're doing, and it's a way to hold me accountable, uh, make sure that, that I'm reading the right thing, okay? Um, and if I'm not, just, just holler out, we're family here. So um, uh, the book of Matthew uh, that we're studying, uh, if you've been with us for long, we started about 13 months ago, uh, and we, we've made it to chapter 8. Um, and so this book that we're studying, uh, the gospel account of Matthew, um, it's an account of the life of Jesus uh, through the writing of Matthew, uh, Matthew has written a book for us to know Jesus more deeply and more intimately. Um, and, and so Matthew, we believe and affirm here, through the inspiration and the preservation of the Holy Spirit, uh, we believe that this is an inspired book, um, an infallible book, an inerrant book. Um, through, the, through the inspiration and preservation of the Holy Spirit, Matthew writes with his own hand um, and, his, and his, own, um, his own personality and all of those things. He writes a thoughtful, carefully curated account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. He's, he's conveying to us a message about who Jesus is and who we ought to believe Jesus to be. Um, and so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, man, what a beautiful reminder, what a beautiful thing that we have to be able to read a book that tells us about our Savior. Um, if you're not a believer, um, I just want you to know who the Bible claims Jesus to be. Um, you may not claim Jesus to be Savior. You may not understand Christ in that way, but make no mistake, that is who the Bible presents him as. Um, and and God, God really, really requires and expects no less from us to, to, um, to, to believe the same thing about this book. Um, and so we believe that Matthew has done this. And so Matthew has this specific audience in mind. We're kind of going back. We're kind of reviewing some things a little bit because it's been about six weeks since we've been in Matthew. Um, and it's been even longer than that since we really talked about just kind of the, the, the nature and the characteristics of this book. And so Matthew has in mind a specific audience to whom he writes. Namely, it's either an audience, we don't know for sure, it's either an audience of uh, fully of Jewish converts, people who have, um, 
been, been Jews and in the Jewish faith for a very long time and have placed their faith and their trust in Christ, um, it's, it's either a crowd predominantly of that or a crowd of just people who are just familiar with the story of the Jewish faith. Um, some of them may be Gentiles. We, we, we truly don't know. We see all throughout the book of Matthew, um, Matthew inserting, just so you remember, Jesus came to save Gentiles too. Uh, we see that from the very beginning of the book. And so today's text really picks up where chapter 7 leaves off. And so if you've got your Bible, you'll see where chapter uh, 7 lead, uh, leaves off. And, and let me just say something. I don't want this to be a stumbling block. If, if, you, if you have questions about it, tell me. that The headings... And the chapter numbers and the verse numbers are not necessarily original. Um, so when you see the, the, the breaks in the Bible, those are really more for, for the reader's convenience in modern translations. And so if you would have been reading this in the, in the very early history of the scriptures, you would see that Matthew 7 does just flow into Matthew 8, and there's likely no numbers there. And so it's very important for us always to see what happens leading up to this point. And so um, it, is, it is very important, though we've taken this time off of Matthew, to recognize the momentum that chapter 7 has going into to chapter 8 um, and to not miss what has happened. So this Jesus, who the crowds are, are about to get up close and personal with, is the Jesus who the crowds responded to in astonishment because of his teaching. So, so, so there's, been, there's been three chapters of, of, the, of the words of Christ, him teaching crowds and teaching people. And when, it, when that's all said and done, Matthew says that the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was one who taught with authority and not like their religious leaders. And so then we see that what Jesus does when he comes down this mountain. And what we see in Matthew 8 is um, the writer of Matthew introducing us to the wonderful works of Jesus. We've, we've heard the wonderful words of Christ, right? The wonderful words, aren't they? Um, just just what, what he says. He teaches like no one else has ever taught. Um, and wonderful words of Christ. And now Matthew's going to show us the wonderful works of Christ in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 8 and 9. And so we're going to see the wonderful works of Christ. And so we'll see through these two chapters what, what we'll see in Matthew 8 and 9 as a series of healings um, and teachings that are interwoven with one another. And Matthew 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, begins with three specific stories of Jesus healing people. And that's what we're going to really look at. Now, let me tell you what this text is not and then what it is, because you may have certain expectations that you're bringing to this text about Jesus healing people, and we just need to just kind of, kind of, you know, knock down all those thoughts that you might have or hope that you have going into this. What this text is not is primarily, I'm not saying that it's not in any way, primarily this text is not a text for us to construct a theology of healing all around. That we would construct, you know, that this is like the, 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 the foundation and the top of, of healing. Now, I would say this is very much the foundation of healing, what the writer does, but we'll talk about that more in just a minute. So primarily what this text is not is a text for us to just apply to our current day and, 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 and think that this is how God always acts and always operates in our healing and in our ailments and in our sickness. And we'll, we'll see that. So let, let, me, let me say something on that. If Matthew means for this to be that, then 
And, 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 if, and if he expects for this to be read through the lens of what Jesus will always do for me, let me just say something. You will be crushed. You will, you will lose faith. You will lose hope. Because if this is a prescription for what Christ does in every circumstance and in every scenario, you will lose faith. You will lose heart. And let me just say, that's not what the, the, the writer here is even trying to establish. And so it's not like a big swing and a miss from Matthew. Um, that's not what, what he's trying to do. And, and here's, here's what that's not. That's not a lack of faith from me. Um, that's not me encouraging a lack of faith in you to believe that God can heal. Can he heal? Yes, we will see that today. We will see that there is a principle here that teaches us that God can and he will heal. So this isn't a lack of faith in me or, or, or me encouraging a lack of faith in you. It's, it's really a desire to be faithful just to the intent of Matthew. Just to be a, just, hey, let's, let's look at what Matthew says. We don't wanna focus on what he says about me this is a book about who? Christ. About Christ. You know, by the way, you know, you know all this book is about Christ, right? The book of Daniel, the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus. You know, like, it's all about Jesus, right? Jesus is not like a New Testament idea that God just came up with. No, Jesus, it's all about Christ. And so that's what this chapter is about. Does, does, so, so hopefully what I've said doesn't put you in too sour of a mood, <laughs> um, doesn't put you in a sour mood. Um, I hope you're not mad at me or that you think I'm some kind of like faithless monster. Like, I'm just gonna take my kids and go. I gotta get out of here. No, let me, let me say something uplifting for you um, that, that again, is not really the point of this text, but I, I, do, I do wanna say this. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, God's response to your request for healing is always Yes. Are you, are you wondering like how that jives with, with your story and your experience? You, you heard that right. God's request for your healing is always yes, Christian. Always, 100% of the time. Like there's not a time where your request for healing is not answered. It's always yes. This is a great promise that we have from God. That God's response to our request for healing is always yes, but there, there may be more to that answer. It may be yes now or yes, but wait. Hey, this is a, this is a like foundational to our faith, church, that, that death is not the end, that, that death for the believer is, is, is healing. Death is our healing. So it's not the answer, Christian, to your asking of God for, for healing is not no, it's yes. And, and listen, this isn't me trying to be pithy or clever. I'm really not. Like, I'm not trying to do gymnastics or aerobics with my words here. I'm, I'm really not. Like, this is orthodox, foundational faith of Christians in a God who makes good on his promises. That though, we, though sickness and illness and death may take us over here, death and sickness and illness does not have the final word. And, and, and we're going to see this in the text today, even in the way that the leper asks Jesus if he will heal him, not if he's able, if he will. And so this is a substantial promise that we have in God. Christians believe this. Christians believe this. Now, non-Christians, I can't promise you that. May God choose to heal a non-Christian? Certainly. He's got the power and the, and the ability to do that. And the grace, even, for non-believers, for those who don't follow Christ. Guess what? God's gracious to you. And so, 
We experience deeply the reality of grief and death. We lean into that. We don't downplay it, but we also know deeply and convictionally that our death is our healing. That our death, even in death, we are healed. So these things are true. These are all true things about that. I, I hope that, that if, you've, if you've lost someone that you love to death, that you, that you saints, are deeply comforted by the reality that your loved one has been healed. And God promised that healing. God promises that healing. And again, please don't hear, please, please don't allow your mind to just say, well, that's, that's cute and that's clever and that's pithy. No, that is, that is deeply foundational to our faith. So they're true. Um, they're not necessarily what today's text is about. That was, that was for free. I gave you that for free, okay? Um, we'll preach a sermon on that sometime. But it's not today's sermon. So what is the text about? You're like, okay, get to the text, Pastor. What is the text about? Let me give you just three things the text about. Um, they're not gonna be clean points. I typically try to like do the same, same like first letter, you know, like a good preacher does. Um, these aren't gonna be cl- three clear points, but they're gonna be three things that we see. Um, what is the text about? The first thing that we see that the text is about the authority that Jesus displays over sickness and death. Um, The second thing that we see is the kind of people that Jesus heals. Essentially, just who's Jesus healing here? Um, The third thing that we're going to see is the purpose of the healing of those that Jesus heals. Maybe maybe just more succinctly, why he heals. And so we see the authority of Jesus over sickness and death. We see who he heals, and we see why he heals. Um, And and so we've got these three examples. Let's read these again together. I know we've read it, but we're going to stick close to it. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. First thing that we, we need to see really in this text is, again, it's coming off of chapter seven. Jesus has authority. The crowds are compelled by this authority that Jesus has. And then the first thing that Jesus does coming off the mountain is he begins to heal people, showing that he not only has authoritative words, but he has authoritative works, authoritative acts. And he is showing his authority over the spiritual realm, not just the oratory realm, but the spiritual realm, and he's healing people. And notice what the leper says to Jesus. This is, this is, is I think this is indicative of, of who this leper believes Jesus to be in verse two. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He does not say if you're able. He says if you will, if, if you will. And so who we're seeing Jesus heal here and cleanse is a, is a leper. We're seeing who it is that Jesus... So he comes off the mountain. He's, he's got the crowds captivated. Where's the first place that you might go if you've got a, just, a, just a, 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 a dose of, of authority and sway in people? You'd probably head straight for the castle, right? You'd head straight for the king. You'd head straight for the person who, okay, man, I'm riding this wave of fame right now. Who's the person who can help me just kind of take this to the, to the next level, right? How can, we, how can we get a little bit further in to, to this influence? No, the very first person that Jesus encounters coming off the mountains where he knows that people are captivated by his teaching is who? 
He is acknowledging and addressing and healing the unclean. The, the, the one who literally the Old Testament gave all sorts, you can read another time, we won't read it this morning, some of you will say thank you. Have any of you started like a Bible reading plan? Let me know when you get to Leviticus and I'll encourage you, okay? We'll encourage one another, okay? Um, you can get, you get to Leviticus 13 and 14 um, and, and this week in our sermon study, Chad pointed this out, um, just kind of saying, hey, this is where this is at. And so that was very helpful. You can read Leviticus 13 and 14 where it just kind of gives the, the ceremonial process for, for how to, or how to um, experience cleansing and, and, and restoration to the community of God and, uh, and worship, worshiping, worshiping God. And so um, you, can, you can read all of that there, but Jesus first addresses the ceremonially unclean. A leper, and in and in the, the the tradition, even in the scriptures in the Old Testament, it would tell it would tell us that like, hey, uh, the, the lepers um, not only had to isolate; oftentimes they had to announce when they were coming to a place so that the people around them would not be unclean. And so, how isolated and how lonely and how marginalized this person would have felt. And yet, Jesus shows his power over sickness not only by healing him. Not only by healing him, but by what? Stretching out his hand and touching him. This man may have never been touched in his life, at least in some time. We don't know the details of his leprosy, but hey, that's not a point of this text. How long has he had it? It's not. It's about Christ. And what does Christ do? Christ reaches out and he touches this person who is unclean And guess what doesn't happen? Jesus doesn't catch the disease. Jesus doesn't become unclean because he's got power and he heals. And and the, the man says, if you will, you can make me clean. And so that's who Jesus cleanses here. Why does he cleanse him? This is very important in this in this section of scripture. So, so bear with me. We're, we're going to look at each of these examples, and we're basically going to ask who and why. Who is it, and why did Jesus do it? And the, and the answer of the why is really the same in all of them. The who's a little bit different. Matthew trying to show us something a little bit different about who Jesus is interacting with. But here's the why. Jesus, Look what Jesus does in, in, in verse 4. This is where you would have to go back to Leviticus 13 and 14, just kind of see the, really the extensiveness of that, that process But it says, and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Hey, when people people did this, when people went through this cleansing process, what it resulted in was really a restoration of this person back to the community of faith and to, to, to to um, to, to offering himself for worship. He was able to, he was restored to the community that he had been so isolated from, and it was a pathway ultimately for him to worship God. And so when, when Jesus tells him to do this, the, the great end and the great, the, the, his healing was a means for this man to worship God. His healing was, I mean, that, that's what Jesus is telling him in verse four. Hey, go, go do this process that, that you know, go cleanse yourself so that you may be restored to the people of God and so that you may offer yourself as a sacrifice and worship to our great God. And so Jesus, I mean, th- think about, like just think about this in this day. Like how many people have we seen who, are, who, who strike the jackpot, you know, or are healed and man, they just, 
They basically just pack their bags and they say, thanks God for your help, I'm out of here. I'm gone. I'm out here, they're not following the Lord. Uh, they're not thankful to the Lord. And Jesus is, is ensuring this man, hey, I have healed you not as an end in and of itself, but I have healed you so that you may be restored to the people of God, not living in isolation, not going and living your life the way you want to live it, but so that you can be restored to a people and have fellowship with a people and so that you may offer yourself, consecrate yourself as an as a act of worship to a holy God. And what a, what a beautiful thing. But, but also what we see here is that if there is a theology or, or an application to be honed in on here, remember what I said, this isn't like a, a comprehensive theology about healing. Uh, but if there is a theology to grasp onto, at least in these verses, it's an acknowledgement and really, really an acknowledgement of the distinctions between God's ability and God's will, right? God is, God is able to do anything he wants, Amen. He is able to heal anyone and anything. But it may not be his will now, right? I mean, I think we've all personally experienced this. We've asked God to heal. So, so does his, does his um, willingness to not heal reflect on his ability to heal? No. The leper, Matthew writes the story of the leper saying, if you will, not if you're able, that the leper was convinced that Jesus was able to do it. But the leper says, if you will, and, and church family, this is how we pray. Hey, we pray, your will, not your will, but not, not, not our will, but yours be done, right? And we believe, we believe deeply that God is able, and we ask that if it is your will, Father, that you would heal, that you would intervene in this, but if you don't, hey, Paul talks about this in Philippians, like that whole thing about to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul says, hey, if I, if I keep on living, that's great. If I die, that's great too. Like the, the people couldn't, put, couldn't squash him. He said, you know, the, the, the people in Philippians came to Paul and said, we'll beat you. And Paul said, awesome. I'll just keep on worshiping Jesus. We'll, okay, well then we'll kill you. Great, I get to be with God. I mean, you couldn't stop this guy. And so this is foundational to our faith, that we fully trust and believe in a God who is able, and then we pray for his will to be done. And, and let me just say something. His will will be done. We, sometimes we ask for that to happen now, and sometimes we acknowledge that that happens later. Amen? Because this is our great hope and our great confidence in this. Let's read verses 5 through 12. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east, west, and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed 
at that very moment. So who is Jesus who is Jesus addressing here? Who is Jesus interacting here? Who is Jesus working towards the benefit of in this moment? The Roman centurion um, is, is, is not the one directly being healed, but again, the, the word doesn't give us information on who exactly it is, just, just that he's a servant. What the point is, is that, Jesus, that, that Matthew is showing us that Jesus is interacting and responding to the request of the Roman centurion. And so who is this? He's a Roman centurion. He's not only the unclean outcast, he is the ethnic outcast. He's, he's Roman. He's, this centurion is literally the oppressor of the people of God. That, I mean, how mind-blowing is this? That the claim that Jesus has and the scriptures have is that this Jesus is the Messiah, the one who's come to, to deliver the people of God from their oppressors, and yet, one of the very first things that we hear is that Jesus is working towards the benefit of our oppressor. He's no way he is who he says he is. And so he's, he's interacting and working towards the benefit of, of the one who has oppressed the people of God that ethnically had no place in the community of faith, no place in the community of, of God. I really think it's fascinating, verses 10, uh, really verse 10 and 11 and, and 12, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you with no one in Israel. Really, Jesus, no one? The Roman centurion? Yes, that's what the word says. With no one in Israel have I found such faith. Many will come, many. So what this means is that people will come from all places in the world, that the gospel will reach the ends of the earth, that the message of hope will reach everywhere and all kinds of people get to be in on this. All kinds of people are in on this. And so people are coming from east and the west, not just from here, not just from Jerusalem, but people from the east and the west, those who are the, the outsider, the unclean, the, the marginalized, those people will come and it is their faith that will get them in. Not their, not their works, not their ethnicity, not their tribe, not not where they come from, not who their daddy was, not who their mama was, not any of that. People from all nations will come. Hey, church, we need to hear that message today. We just need to be reminded of it, okay? Just kind of a little bit of a sidetrack. Remember last week we talked about here in the coming weeks, we're just gonna have a day where we talk about the heart of God for the nations. Hey, Jesus is saying here, people will come from all nations and be at the table with the Lord. Not just from, not just from one place. And Jesus says, and there will be sons of the kingdom. There will be sons of, of Jerusalem, of Israel, that will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of, of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. Hey, the Roman centurion did nothing for Jesus here. You know, John chapter six, they, they ask Jesus, hey, what are, what are the works that we must do to be saved? And what does Jesus say? Hey, the, the work is this, to believe. To believe, faith. Faith in who he is. Faith in who he says he is. That's the work. If there's a work that salvation boils down to, it's simply faith. And by the way, faith is not a work. Do our works, do works uh, proceed from our faith? Yes. Or proceed from our faith? Yes. But the, the work that, that, that God is calling people into simply is faith that I can do nothing to save myself, 
I have faith and I believe in who you are. Jesus says that himself. This is the work, to believe in he who the Father has sent. And so that's what this man is is exhibiting. Isn't that amazing? The, the, script, the scripture at least indicates for us here, um, not any, we're not going to add any speculation to this. The scripture just plainly says this Roman centurion had faith in Christ. Amazing. <laughs> amazing. Just, I, I hope that that's not lost on us. And so why? Why did Jesus do this for him? Well, ultimately the same reason he did it for the first person, the leper, so that he can worship God and be in fellowship with his people. Um, he says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. This, this man walked away from Jesus, and, and Jesus wasn't just healing. Again, the healings were not the great ends. They were the means to a greater end so that this man would be uh, restored and welcomed into the, the community of faith and he would, he would offer his life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And how tough that would have been for a Roman centurion, Right? They knew commitment, they knew dedication, they knew, they knew, um, they knew what faithfulness to, to, the, to the kingdom was, to their own kingdom. And so, verses uh, 14 through 17, we see the, the third story of healing here. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, listen to this, and healed all who were sick. Have you ever caught that? I mean, there's, there's three stories here. Matthew tells us Jesus healed all people who were sick and were brought to him, and we don't know the stories of any of them besides these three. That's amazing. We see, we see more, more healings later, but, but that focus is even going to shift in Matthew. These three stories here, are Matthew has a specific focus. It says, healed all who were sick, and then verse 17, powerful. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And so who does Jesus heal here? He heals a woman. He heals, he heals, um, heals Peter's, Peter's uh, mother-in-law. We don't, from this text, we don't know her name. I, I, I can't remember if we, know, if we were told her name anywhere in the scripture, but we know here that it's, it's the mother-in-law of Peter. Um, and so Jesus has healed the unclean. He has healed the ethnic outcast. And here he's, he's healing the culturally marginalized, a, a woman, a, a woman. And there's, there's all sorts of historical observations about you know, the, the, the word of a, of a, of a woman and, and things like that. And, and those, are, those are probably really legitimate and important things to, to consider and think about. But what we know is that, that Matthew has given us three examples of unlikely people that Jesus would have interacted with. And so what we can assume here is that for him to heal a woman would have been just somewhat odd. Why not go and heal the, 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 the influential man in the community? No, we don't even know this lady's name. We just know that she's a woman who is the mother-in-law of, of Peter and that Jesus goes and, and heals this person who culturally would have been marginalized. Hey, John chapter four, the, 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 the account of the woman at the well is kind of the same thing. Jesus is interacting with a woman who it says that was out at the well in the middle of the day. From, from historical things we've read, again, this is not clearly from Scripture, and so I always want to distinguish that. From historical things that we've read, it would have been really odd for a woman to be at the well in the middle of the heat of the day. 
Most of them went early in the morning. And so what that tells us is this woman was probably trying to hide. Someone was probably trying to avoid as many people as she could. And yet, who does she encounter but the Son of God? And so here we see that this this mother-in-law of Peter is healed. And then this this text is is maybe the, the most clear, and it tells us why. Why does Jesus heal her? Well, her understanding at least, which I would assume that it was the, the understanding that the Spirit of God put on her heart in response to her healing was what? She rose and she served him. She rose and she served him. That's the, that's the only proper response to your healing is to serve God, to fear God, to submit to God. And that's what this woman does. And guess what? Um, it doesn't tell us, it doesn't, it doesn't, Tell us that, that he does or that he doesn't, but I'm assuming that serve him implies that Jesus received her service because Jesus was the son, is the son of God. And the reason why Jesus healed her is so that she would serve him. And so church family, whatever it is that God does for you, in the good or the bad, the the goal is that we would serve him. If you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Man, this is such an important and powerful piece of Scripture. Romans 12, 1 and 2. says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." I think this passage tells us that what, the good, what, uh, that, that what we discern that the will of God is, is that he would be worshiped. That's the will of God, that he would be worshiped. That is good and acceptable and perfect, not because we're perfect, but because when we worship God, Christian, God no longer sees the filthy rags that we offer to him. He, he looks upon us and he sees the righteousness of Christ. Your worship, your spiritual act of wor- of your, your spiritual act of, 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 of worship is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. How weird is that language, right? That's, that's really odd language. We're just going to state that. Offering yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And so I, I believe that what Matthew is attempting to show us about this Christ is who it is that Jesus chooses to interact with. And, and, and one of his most, at least humans, humanly speaking, in one of his most defining moments of his life, as, as far as his ministry goes. Obviously, the defining moment of the life of Christ is what? The resurrection. And his death, his death and his resurrection, and the fact that even right now, he is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. And so I believe what Matthew is telling us is, hey, this is who Jesus interacts with, and this is why he does what he does. This is why he does what he does. And so verses 
Verses uh, 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Let's turn real quick. Isaiah 53, let's just do it. Isaiah 53. If you're using those Bibles in the seats in front of you, um, this passage is on page 613, sorry, 614. This is the prophet Isaiah. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And so that's what Jesus is showing us. By his wounds, we are healed. You're like, wait, I'm healed? Yes, because the great deliverance that Jesus has come to accomplish is, is not ultimately your physical healing, is it? We, we know. We know the reality. The scriptures tell us that. We, one, of my, one, of my, uh, one of my professors in seminary just said, hey, listen, when it, when, it, when it feels like there's some kind of contradiction, you know, here it says that he's healing and that we're healed. And over here, Peter, uh, Paul's saying that, well, I, I might die. What, what, my professor simply just says, this, just use your brain. Just you, like we, Christians understand what this means, that the ultimate healing that Christ has come to provide is not our physical healing, but our spiritual healing. May he be gracious to us, and, may, and is he able to heal us, and may it be his will to heal us now? Yes, yes, and yes. But is he able, and does he have the power to, and, and may it not be his will? Yes, yes, and yes to all of those things. And so Matthew's primary goal for us is not to highlight and headline these star characters. The leper's not the point. The centurion's not the point. Peter's mother-in-law is not the point. The point is, is that Matthew is establishing for us who it is that Jesus interacts with and why Jesus operates in the way that he operates. And so we are to see what kind of king what kind of savior this is, one who can heal and one who is willing and one who deserves to be worshiped. He deserves to be worshiped with your life. And so inciting Isaiah, Matthew cites Isaiah 50, uh, what was that, 53. Inciting Isaiah, Matthew declares this Jesus. It's kind of like the, the, the bow on, on this section. Matthew's just kind of tying up. Remember in, in Matthew 1, he gives the genealogy and Matthew's showing us, hey, like the genealogy fits, the, the, the genealogy works out, and, and, and Jesus is the one who was prophesied about in the Old Testament. This is Matthew coming again to either a congregation completely of Jews or a congregation of people who are familiar at least with the Jewish faith. Matthew is just reaffirming this truth that he's saying over and over Matthew, this is the Messiah, this is the one, this is the one we're waiting for, this is the deliverer, this is the king that God promised. This is all of those things. And so inciting Isaiah, Matthew declares this Jesus to be ultimately the one who has authority not only to heal our sickness, but see this from Isaiah 53, but to forgive our sins, to forgive us of our sins. One who, like us, this Messiah, like us, who did suffer, but in a much greater way so that you and I could experience the ultimate healing and that is healing and deliverance from our sin. Praise God, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it uh, teaches us. 
I pray that, Lord, this week um, we, would, we would offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Uh, we're, we're not legalistic about this. Um, and, and may you help us in the areas of our lives where we are. May we be quick to repent of our legalism. May we be quick to repent of where we are so busy doing work for you um, that, that we don't acknowledge the work that you've done in us. And so may what we offer to you not be an offering so that you might accept us, but, so, but, but an offering out of an acknowledgement of our acceptance before you. Lord, we need, we need your spirit in that moment. There's not an area of our life where we can just kind of put the spirit on the back burner. We believe it is the Spirit of God who even in that moment of offering our sacrifice, the Spirit of God through the sacrifice of the Son, through the, through the, 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 the full um, being pleased of the Father that consecrates that sacrifice and that gift before you. It's not our own works or our own deeds. It is, again, the Spirit's help, the Son's righteousness, and the Father's acceptance of us. And so, Lord, we are, we are a, we're, we're not a, a one-dimensional people. You are not a, a one-dimensional God. You are, you are, you are a trinity. And every, every being of the trinity is, is in on this with us, for us, on behalf of us. So we praise, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So Lord, help us in these ways. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to, um, to know that, that we, are, we are those who you've come to seek and save. We're not the, we're not the mighty and the powerful, the one of noble birth. Uh, we're, the, we're the outcast. We're the unclean. We're the marginalized. We're, the, we're the, the lost that you have come to seek and save. And so we, we praise you for that. Um, so help that, help that to humble us. Help that to... Um, fuel our worship of you, our response to you, and our obedience to you. Lord, now as we are able to partake of, of this beautiful thing that you've given to the church in the Lord's Supper, that we're able to see with our eyes uh, the, the power, the beauty of, of what the gospel is, uh, may, we be, may we be moved by that. Um, and may it be an act, a moment of worship for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.